Good morning, Cornerstone. Good to be with you this morning. A little while ago, I was listening to a podcast where a man called Donald Miller was uh, explaining an approach to marketing that he had developed. Now, I wasn't actually going looking for uh, things on marketing, but I got sort of drawn into this um, this approach. What, what first grabbed me about Donald Miller was that actually he wasn't a marketer himself. He wasn't from marketing or business or PR background. In fact, he was a writer, an author, a, a creative person. He'd done this deep dive into all of the great stories that um, sort of have lasted through the ages. He wanted to see what was similar about all these great enduring stories. And a couple of things that he found that he then applied into the world of marketing um, were really quite interesting. I mean, I think the idea of uh, telling people about a product or an idea or something you're trying to get people to buy or buy into by communicating a story is not necessarily the revolutionary thing. I think we understand or we get the idea that actually people are much more drawn to stories than they are to things or ideas or even people. And often the idea in marketing is, you know, a brand or a product or a company has a story that they're telling. And we kind of either we think, oh, gee, that story is just like ours. So I should sort of buy in or buy up. Um, or there's this aspirational quality where we say, oh, gee, I wish the story of my life was like the story of the Mercedes-Benz brand. So if I get a Mercedes-Benz, then maybe my story will change. So much of lifestyle kind of marketing is based around that idea of aspirational stories. So that wasn't the revolutionary thing. Um, what Donald Miller was talking about when he did this deep dive into stories, he discovered an, a number of things. Um, but one was that actually the hero in the story is usually, in all the great stories, is not the most powerful or influential person, which has made me kind of think for a moment, is that true? Because to be heroic is to be powerful. Um, but then as he talked, and he used examples like, for instance, Lord of the Rings, where there's this great journey. Um, and the central character, Frodo, is theoretically uh, one of the weakest characters in terms of powers or abilities, often quite fearful and scared and feeling alone. And uh, and so that, that I guess that resonated a little bit. And in fact, the most powerful figure in that story in The Lord of the Rings, if you haven't read Lord of the Rings, I'll maybe just press pause and go and read all three books and you can come back or you'll get the gist maybe. Um, the most powerful figure is a character that Donald Miller says appears in lots of these great stories, and that's the guide. Think of Gandalf the wizard, who's not there all the time. Um, in fact, not there the majority of the time, but when Gandalf turns up, it's to add something to Frodo's um, search. It's to give encouragement. It's to reveal the way forward or to help them out of trouble. And clearly Gandalf is actually... Um, in that sense, a, a real hero, the most powerful person. So that's an example. Maybe think of Star Wars and think of the role of Yoda or Obi-Wan Kenobi. Uh, my daughter, Daisy, is really into 80s movies at the moment. So this one's maybe for her and all the other 80s kids out there. Think of Mr. Miyagi 
in the Karate Kid. I actually, as I did, I'm, I think as you think about this idea that often the hero is not the strongest character. It's the person who's overcoming something, the person who's had something lost that they're trying to return or they're trying to conquer a fear. And there will be the strongest character, the most influential character in getting to a positive outcome is someone else who's not central. Donald Miller's whole point in the marketing world was the mistake that people make is to that companies make is that they make themselves the hero of their own story. Just consider that for a while. The mistake that companies make is that they make themselves the hero or people. And he used the example of politicians often when they make themselves the hero rather than being the God. In fact, the quite staggering or not staggering, but most interesting example that he gave was from politics. This was a little while ago when I was listening to this. And he actually talked about the 2016 American presidential campaign. Now, I'm very aware we may have reached peak American politics a long time ago, but just hang with me on this one. Um, remember that this was the campaign where Donald Trump um, was not even expected to be the the Republican candidate, and then was thoroughly expected to be uh, to be beaten by Hillary Clinton. And famously, his presidential campaign spent a fraction of the money that uh, the Clinton campaign did. Um, and Donald Miller is not trying to make some big political comment or insight. There are many, many, many things and lots of complexities going on. He just zeroed in on the, the two campaign slogans, which is the summary of the story they're trying to tell. Now, I wonder if you can remember what Hillary Clinton's uh, slogan was in the 2016 campaign. I'll give you five seconds to maybe think of it. Three, two, one. It was, I'm with her. And so, as Donald Miller was saying, this is clearly a sort of made sense that, um, you know, they needed people to support Hillary Clinton for all sorts of different reasons. Um, the story was, come and be a part of this story, her story. I'm with her. Now, I know you're not going to need five seconds to recall what Donald Trump's slogan was. Make America great again. And Donald Miller was saying this was a piece of genius. Um, perhaps genius because it was so, it seemingly ran completely opposite to everything uh, we knew of Donald Trump, who was a famous self-promoter uh, from leading up to that point. And then certainly everything we knew of Donald Trump as a president, who very much made himself the hero often. But here, his point was in the story that was telling, uh, that they were telling, they made, they weren't the hero. Donald Trump was the hero. He was the guide that was going to take people there. And I thought, well, that was a fascinating insight. Graham, why are you talking about all of this stuff? That's a very good question. And I'm going to answer that after we come back from actually reading the passage of scripture we're going to look at today. Um, that's in Mark. We're continuing on as Josh has been looking in Mark in the lead up to uh, the death and resurrection of Jesus. This is the season of Lent. And so this morning's passage is from Mark 8, and uh, we're going to go and look at that right now. The Passion Prediction Jesus began telling his disciples what would happen to him. He said, The nation's leaders 
the chief priests and the teachers of the law of Moses, will make the Son of Man suffer terribly. He will be rejected and killed, but three days later he will rise to life. Then Jesus explained clearly what he meant. Peter took Jesus aside and told him to stop talking like that, but when Jesus turned and saw the disciples, he corrected Peter. He said to him, Satan, get away from me. You are thinking like everyone else and not like God. Jesus then told the crowd and the disciples to come closer, and he said, If any of you want to be my followers, you must forget about yourself. You must take up your cross and follow me. If you want to save your life, you will destroy it. But if you give up your life for me and for the good news, you will save it. What will you gain if you own the whole world but destroy yourself? What would you give to get back your soul? Don't be ashamed of me and my message among these unfaithful and sinful people. If you are, the Son of Man will be ashamed of you when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. In a book full of really confronting and challenging uh, texts and passages, that's got to be in the grand final <laughs> for the most challenging confronting of anyone who's wanting to take the, the life and teaching of Jesus seriously. Um, perhaps already you can you can start to put together the connect connections of what I was talking about earlier about the story brand idea. But what we've got here very much is the followers of Jesus being confronted with the reality that this is not going to have the heroic ending that they thought, um, where perhaps they had placed themselves quite understandably, I think, um, really, they placed themselves with Jesus at the centre of this story and assuming that there was going to be, as Jesus' influence was gathering and growing and they're there because they believe, they're buying into the story that he's the Messiah. And that ends with a heroic sort of final scene when God's people are restored to their rightful place of political and kind of um, in uh, surrounding nations, their, their place of prominence. That was the expectation that they had. And so when Jesus says, no, actually, that's not the way this story ends. Actually, I'm going to be rejected. I'm going to be, uh, I'm going to suffer. I'm going to die. It was so confronting to them that Peter says, you've got this wrong. It, it actually uses the terms that Peter rebukes. Some translations have re rebukes. The idea is he's corrected them. He's saying, no, no, that's not the way this is meant to end. Um, and then Jesus gives what appears to us to be such a harsh um, such a harsh comeback to Peter because, after all, isn't Peter just concerned that his friend is going to die, um, which is definitely there. I think there's probably some self-interest in there as well, this sense in which this is not going to end the way we want or why we thought. And Jesus comes back at him and says, get behind me, Satan. Now, I actually don't believe that um, I'm not of the opinion that Jesus was saying Jesus that Peter was sort of demon-possessed. The idea here is that Peter is so missing what is happening, so not seeing what God is doing it in the way he's so far from it. You couldn't be any further from it that actually what you're giving 
voice to here, Peter, is the complete opposite. It's like the ideas of the adversary of the adversary here get behind me, Satan. So there's this confrontation there. Um, and then Jesus goes on to describe in one of the most, um, again, confronting, challenging summaries of what it actually will mean to follow Jesus. And he uses the symbol of the cross. Now, it's very easy for us, or it's tempting for us as believers now, to view the symbol of the cross and understand that it represented death, it represented, it was uh, crucifixion, but to also see it, because we live this side of the cross, as a symbol of grace and forgiveness and all that's been achieved for us. And we need to understand this was before the the death and ultimate resurrection and so it was impossible for Peter and for the disciples to see it as anything other than a symbol of brutal death and suffering and pain and shame and rejection this was not a hero story and if they had uh, done the very human thing that Donald Miller talked about where we place ourselves as the hero of the story this was very, very confronting. This was a complete about face. And this is what Jesus continues to do and had done um, leading up to this point and continues to do to turn things upside down. And he goes on in this passage to sort of speak in paradoxes and dichotomies where if you want to gain your life, you must lose it. And if you try to lose your life, you'll gain it. And it's very similar to a theme that he's discussed in other places where you might remember in Matthew, when again, there were some disciples who were jostling to make themselves the hero of the story. Uh, they were jostling for prominence. And Jesus said, actually, if you want to be great in the kingdom of God, you must be a servant. And we, as Josh mentioned last week, we're going to spend some time after Easter going even further into the teachings of Jesus because it is so important for us to come back and remind ourselves from Jesus' words himself what it is to follow Christ because that temptation for us to make ourselves the hero of the story, even within the Christian story, even, even a Christian version of it, it's, it's there all of the time. And so it's so important for us to be struck again that Jesus is saying the way of Christ is sacrifice. It is uh, suffering. It is of humility. It is to make ourselves lower, not greater. And when there are so there's so many forces within our culture that continue to drive us to make more of ourselves, to push ourselves further forward. And even within Christian culture for us to do that as well, let's be honest, it's so important we come back to first principles and and meet Jesus in his word. And so we're going to continue to do that. But I just want to leave you with that thought today. You know, I am, when I was listening to Donald Miller, um, he went on much of the context that he was then talking about this idea of making the mistake of making ourselves the hero of our story. They were talking about leadership. Donald Miller is a Christian. He was inspired 
by the great story. I mentioned he was an author. The vast majority of his um, writings are about Jesus or about Christianity or about the church's engagement in the world. And so he was inspired by this story. He may well have been inspired. I'm sure he would have been by passages like we've just read. And um, in this discussion, they were talking about Christian leadership. And particularly it was because it was with a, another Christian pastor. And he was saying the m- mistake that often Christian leaders make is to make themselves the hero of their leadership story when actually the way of leadership and influence in the kingdom is to serve. And I I really resonate with that. I know that I have done that at times when you get sort of sometimes feeling like you're a big fish in a small pond. It, it always leads to pain. It, 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 it never has the outcome that you intend. And so there are things that I have tried to do in my leadership journey to actively, I guess, humble myself. You'll Hopefully you'll never hear me refer to my church or my staff or my volunteers, that kind of personal pronoun. Um, it's not that I don't have unique and important responsibilities as a senior pastor, but it's a way of me, and you can hold me accountable to it, it's a way of me reminding myself of the ultimate truth that I am not the hero of this story. I'm also um, sort of, I'm captivated by the idea of a church that also doesn't think we're the hero of our our own story. As we're trying to communicate to the world around us about the things of God and about our church specifically, it's very tempting for us to say to the world around us, look how great our church is. Look at all the great things we do. Look at the great community we've gotten. It's tempting because it's actually, I think it's actually true. But again, imagine a church, imagine with me a church that actually actively looks to make the families and the individuals of the community the hero of their story. That actually, we're a God. We believe there's a way. We want to we open up a way through the ultimate God, Jesus, in our life, where we see your story. We see what you're struggling with. We see the challenges. We see your aspirations. And we think there's a way. And imagine if we went in low into our community, not saying we're the heroes of the story, but actually we're here to serve. It's my experience that through history, when churches do that thing, they place themselves in the very center of God's plan for the church. And I'm excited about the opportunity to do that in a new season. I invite you to think with me how we can do that. I'm going to finish this morning, folks, in exactly the same way we finished last week. Um, Josh brought us to a point where, and I was very powerful, I thought, where he pointed us to the cross. And of all of the wonderful, powerful things in the story of Jesus, in the story of the church, that we might place as central, he reminded us that actually it's the cross that is the most powerful. With all of its suffering, with all of its pain, maybe because of all of its suffering, because of all of its pain, because of all of the humility and sacrifice that's required, it is the enduring image. And so I'm going to leave you with the the words of Josh this morning. Be blessed. Hope to see you soon in person. Have a great week. What will it mean for our understanding of the kingdom, our place in the kingdom, if, say, more than... uh, 
when we see the spiritual gifts manifest in power if more than that as a picture of the kingdom that the cross is a picture of the power of the kingdom what would it mean if more than our material blessing our success in this world as a picture of the kingdom of god as a manifestation of the power of the kingdom of god what would it mean if above that the cross was a picture was the manifestation of the power of the kingdom what would it mean if even more than healing miraculous healing that we may have experienced that we might hope for as a picture as a manifestation of the power of the kingdom what would it mean if above that the cross was the picture of the power and the manifestation of the power of the kingdom what if above the transfiguration above pentecost above the second coming of jesus the key to understanding the power of the kingdom that the picture of the power of the kingdom that the manifestation of the power of the kingdom the clearest understanding that we could have of the power of the kingdom was the cross.